to say that I'm so glad that you're all here today. Uh, I know we've got a lot of folks um, who are in visiting. We've got a few baptisms today, and we've got family members from out of town and, and others in. Um, also, we've got folks that, uh, that, that I haven't seen in a little while, and, and if that's you, it's also so good to see you. Um, and if you're brand new, just want to say welcome and, and glad that you're here with us. Uh, this is one of the, the Sundays that we expect a few more people around church, um, and, and that makes a lot of sense. Because this is a day where we're celebrating one of the most amazing things, I mean, actually the most amazing thing that's ever happened in the history of the world. So again, my name is Matt Witt. I'm one of the pastor elders here at Calvary, and I just want to say welcome again, um, because it is a joy to worship with you. It's a joy to be here, and, and it's such a, a great day to praise the Lord. If you are here and you are a Christian, then you may be aware that you are a weird person, <laughs> right? You may be aware that there is something truly strange about you, there is something different about you than the rest of the world. Now, if you're not a Christian and you're here, then you are aware that everybody else in this room is truly weird, <laughs> right? You are aware that there are things that we believe, I believe, that you think are ridiculous and foolish, if you're a Christian, you believe something that the rest of the world counts to be absolutely ridiculous and foolish. And that is that we believe that Jesus Christ died and rose again. You are a fool if you believe that, according to the world. A couple weeks ago, I had a conversation with someone who who was just startled that someone as, and this is their words, smart and intelligent as I was, could possibly believe that the God of this universe would come and, and be born as a baby, that that same one would grow up and, and be crucified, that God, right, would, would go willingly to the cross, and that it's foolishness to believe that, that anybody can come back to life after three days. I mean, maybe a couple hours, right? Maybe one day, but three days, really? So let me just tell you, if you believe that, you are a fool, and you are in good company, because I believe it too. Church, we live in a world that does not believe that people are capable of such change and transformation, such that someone who was dead can become alive. But Christians, we believe that that happens every single time God reaches out to one of us, calls us to himself, and we believe. For before we knew Christ, we were dead as dead as Jesus was in the grave. And upon receiving that faith from him, we believe and we too are raised to life. You are a fool if you believe such things. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Right? The world does not believe. And we will meet people every day who think and hold a contempt for us because of what we think and believe, because we hold fast to the words that Scripture teach us, that Jesus Christ died and rose again. Yeah. 
We live in a world, we spend time with people who will not believe, who refuse to believe, and my guess is there are a few of those people in this room right now who, when I say, hey, we are a bunch of fools, they're like, yeah, you are. The Bible tells us that it is foolish. It's foolish to the Gentiles that we believe that Jesus would die on the cross and that it's folly to the Jew that the Messiah would die. Well, equally so, it is foolish in the world's eyes to believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. The thing is, is as we enter into the story of Scripture, what we see is that it's not just the world that was unsure or disbelief over the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're going to see today that it's actually his closest friends, his family, his people, who were the first ones to disbelieve. My prayer for us today as we would approach the scriptures is that we, as we approach them, that, that we would see where even in our own lives we may have disbelief, we may have unbelief, that we might confess that before the Lord and receive life. If you have been a part of Calvary Church for the last three months, then you know that we have spent about the last three months working through the trial the arrest the trial the burials of Je- the the burials the burial of Jesus right we have been looking at this stuff and it has been a heavy church for a few months scott and i are 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 breathing a sigh of relief as we recognize that starting this week and going into about the next six weeks to eight weeks all we're going to be doing is is excitedly talking about new life because we're going to continue our study through the book of John. So I want to invite you to open your Bibles. We're in John chapter 20. And just a reminder as we come into this place in the book of John, whether in John itself or the general story of Scripture, is that Jesus has been dead for three days now. His closest friends, disciples, all of them, they don't believe that he is coming. They're in grief and mourning. They're confused about what has taken place. They have had no hope for three days. And here they are. We're going to see them again as we come into this. Church, I want us to see that it is okay to be in a place of, of disbelief but that we need to move from that to a place of belief and and faith as we're going to see the disciples do today. So we're in John chapter 20, starting in verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. Now, just a reminder, that's John, the the author of the book of John. He is the disciple whom Jesus loved. He takes his own name out of it um, as as if to say, "I, I am not the important one here. And he says to them, they, she said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together. That's Peter and John are running together. But the other disciple outran Peter. So John wins the foot race. And he reaches the tomb first. And stooping in, stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. 
Then Simon Peter came, following him, and he went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there in the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. This is the first of many resurrection stories in the book of John. It parallels the stories also in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Mary goes to the tomb on this morning not expecting anything good, right? She does not go thinking Jesus is going to be walking around, that the tomb is going to be empty. She goes expecting that her role is going to be to, to do the last final preparations of taking, of, of, of burying the body, to make sure it's all done right. She goes into this with no hope. She encounters an empty tomb. She runs, goes back to the disciples. She shares with them the book of Luke tells us that the disciples thought she was just speaking idle tales. It says word for word, they did not believe her. But Peter and John run out, not hoping to find Jesus, but fearful of what they're going to discover. Maybe they're hopeful that, that Mary just didn't see well, that, that the body was in the shadows and and, and, and she's mistaken, but they get there, and they're still not expecting anything. John looks in, but he doesn't enter. Peter, on the other hand, bold as always, goes straight into the tomb. He sees the scene first. There's linen cloths that had been wrapped around Jesus. They're just laying there, maybe in a pile. And then off to the side, away from that, is the special cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' face. And that is folded up. This is the scene they see. Something happens at that point. These are two men that were not expecting a resurrection. And the text tells us that they suddenly believe. We're going to come around to that. What we're going to look at today as we look at this is, is three who came alive. Okay, we're going to look at three that came alive here. And it may not be the exact three you're thinking. First, we have Jesus. Jesus is alive. Verses 4 through 7 says, Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb he saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head not lying with the linen cloths but folded up into place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, that's John, also went in and saw and believed. For he, as yet they did not understand the scriptures that he must rise from the dead. Scripture's really clear here that Jesus rose from the dead. This was going to be the teaching of scripture. Peter and John did not know what they were going to find. But what they find is a pile of grave, grave cloths lying here and a neatly folded up face cloth over here. Such simple things that will lead them to believe that Jesus has risen from the dead. We look at that and we wonder, how, how do they get there from that? Well, it's actually fairly simple. If you were going to steal a dead body for some reason, 
Not sure why you would, but if you were gonna, and it's illegal, and you don't want to get caught, are you going to take the time to undress said dead body, drop the clothes, take the special cloth off the face, fold that up neatly, and put it over here? No, if you're going to steal a dead body, and this is really weird, please don't do it, you are going to toss it over your shoulder and run. Right? Or two or three of you are going to pick and go. They're like, why are the cloths still here? And they're left with really one conclusion. It's because Jesus took them off. Wow. Now just think about this. We're sitting here almost 2,000 years later, and we're thinking, really, that's the conclusion they came to? Man, John and Peter, they were not very smart. Well, here's the thing. It is easier or as easy for them then as it would be for us to just simply dismiss this and to believe his body had been taken. But that is not the conclusion they come to in the moment. These are people that enter into this scene in grief and fear and doubt, and somehow they come out of it with belief. It would have been far easier for Peter to look at John and John to look at Peter and be like, dude, somebody stole him. But instead they say to each other, dude, I think he's risen from the dead. How powerful is that? Right? We have this tendency to look back on people in history and think they're stupider than we, were, we are. But they're not. They're the same as we are. And so we look back now and say, All right, well, maybe Jesus was just stolen or some other, we come up with some other concoction of, of what happened here. But the reality is that these men in this moment, it would have been far easier for them to just believe that, that nothing crazy happened here, and yet they walk out of it believing without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is raised from the dead. How often have we experienced these small things in life that confirm big truths? Right? For them, they see these cloths. And they think he's risen from the dead. What do we see in this life? The, the small things that confirm the big truths of Scripture. This week, some of us experienced one. A few of us in the church were praying this week, on Tuesday, that rains or snows would fall on the fire. On all the fires, right? Well, here was the really crazy thing. Some of you know this. Wednesday morning, we have people in our church who, who live in both areas of the fires. And they woke up to snow in those two places. Everywhere else in the valley was bone dry that morning. Not a drop of moisture, except those two places. Just pause on that for like a second. God works. God does amazing things. God is powerful. Small things that confirm big truths, right? Any confirmation in prayer, small things confirming big truths. For Peter and John, it's these two small details that lead them to believe that Jesus has come alive. Of course, it wasn't just those two little details, was it? And this leads us to the second that comes alive. I want to look at verses 8 through 9. It says, Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. Verse 9, 
For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. The first thing that comes alive, the first one that comes alive in this is Jesus. The second thing that comes alive in this passage is scripture. John, in particular, is what he's talking about here. And he's telling us, remember, this is him narrating this, him speaking. And he says, he's essentially saying, I didn't understand as of yet the scriptures, what they said. But in this moment, he sees the cloth and suddenly scripture, all the things that Jesus had taught to him, comes alive. It becomes real. It's not just words written on a page. It's not just something that his teacher shared with him. Suddenly in his life, scripture becomes living and active. And it's speaking to his heart, right? And so it takes those little things, those little confirmations, the cloths laying there and folded in separate piles, and suddenly it sparks that thing that Jesus said that one time teaching out of the book of Isaiah or out of the Psalms or wherever else it was that Jesus taught because Jesus taught constantly out of the Old Testament, proving who he was all the way through and what would happen but we are told over and over again that the disciples could not see it, they could not hear it, and it's not until this moment that John and Peter suddenly are awakened to the power of Scripture in their lives. How powerful and amazing to think about that. Maybe he's thinking on verses such as Psalm 16, verse 10. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. A psalm that teaches us that God's Holy One would not remain in death forever. Would not, their body would not rot. Right? Or maybe Isaiah 53.10 as one writer wrote. Therefore Isaiah also prophesies his resurrection. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. How can he see his offspring if he is executed unless he is resurrected? There are passages in the book of Jonah that Jesus uses to say there's going to be a sign that in three days I will rise there are passages in the book of, I, of Hosea that lead us to an understanding of the resurrection of the promises that come. And quite frankly, church, if you commit yourself to reading the Old Testament in this book, what you will see is that the whole story leads up to this moment. The story of Scripture proclaims a Messiah who will die and be raised to life so that people like us can be saved. And suddenly in this moment, the scriptures come alive for John, right? He's thinking about Jesus, and he's like, man, Jesus is alive. Everything he said, it all of a sudden makes sense. How many of us in the course of our lives have ever had that moment where, where scripture meant nothing, and then suddenly it was like, whoa, that's what this means. The Holy Spirit comes in and, and teaches our hearts and shows us what God is doing and what God has said. It's not just Jesus that comes alive in this moment, but it is also the scriptures. Now this makes me think about two potential questions. For some of us, we really struggle with the idea that Jesus rose from the dead. For some of us, we really struggle with scripture being a valuable part of our lives. 
And I think these two things feed each other. If we don't actually believe in the resurrection, then we may find ourselves not actually reading Scripture. And if we don't read Scripture, then we may actually not come to the conclusion that Jesus rose from the dead. It's circular. It's circular. The world hates circular reasoning. Most of us actually probably hate it too, but the reality is that, that Scripture argues from its own place. It speaks to us and teaches us as a living organism. Right? It speaks to us as a person might speak to us. It shares its story with us. So church, Jesus is alive, but not only Jesus, Scripture has come alive for John, and I think for Peter as well. The third thing that we see coming alive here is, of course, then John. John comes alive. Look at verse 5 with me, and then we'll jump to verse 8. Verse 5 says, And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. John is that hesitant one, right? He, he sees, but he, he doesn't enter in. In verse 8, it tells us, Then the other disciple, who we also know to be John, who had reached the tomb first, also went in. And he saw and he believed. Now this is an important phrase here. The word believed here is the same word we see in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten Son that whosoever believes or believeth in him will have eternal life. Because John is doing no less here than describing his moment of conversion. The moment he goes from knowing a lot about Jesus and knowing a lot of Jesus' teachings and even kind of being friends with Jesus to Jesus being his Lord and Savior. This is John's moment of salvation where he goes from doubt and unbelief to belief. And it happened because of some cloth on the ground and the scriptures teaching his heart is opened up to see who Jesus really is and what is taking place. And suddenly John believes. This is a beautiful, beautiful picture of conversion. If you're a Christian, then you too have had a moment like this where you've seen Jesus for who he really is. You've heard, seen the scriptures and what they really teach. And there's a moment in our lives where, where it clicks. And we, we go from doubt to belief. We go from death to life. If you're not a Christian yet, then I'm just going to tell you, I, I, you haven't experienced that yet. And if you're sitting here thinking, man, I've never experienced what he's talking about, then I have news for you. You may not be a Christian, even if you've been in church for your whole lives. Or if I can poke some fun at some of you, even if you've come to church on Easter and Christmas. And I say it as light as I can. But we need to have a moment. And for some of us, it's a process of a moment, right? Where we, where we are awakened to what God is doing and we realize that God is at work in our lives and we then commit our lives over to him because he's already working. It looks different in different people. But the question is, is has you, have you ever come alive in the scriptures? Have you ever come alive in your faith in Jesus? Or are you still as dead as you have been your whole life? 
when the scriptures are read, when we proclaim, when we sing of Jesus, is there a movement in your heart? Or is there nothing? And you wonder why that guy up front gets so excited. John is sharing the moment that he gets saved. <laughs> the thing is, 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 and I think this is an amazing sort of set of details that happen here, because John gets to the, the tomb first, and he looks inside, and there's no change in him. But what happens? It requires him going into the tomb in order to be changed. He sees, but he hasn't entered in. And church, I fear for many of us that we have seen, but we have never entered in to a relationship with Jesus. We have never gone into the tomb with Jesus, where, where he was. We have never died and been buried in that tomb with him. We have never been willing to go that far. For some of us, we, we look on to faith from a distance. For some of us, we look into the lives of our parents or the lives of our kids or our friends, but we never enter into it ourselves. We never experience the cold dark of the despair of realizing that we can't help ourselves, that we need a Savior. We don't just need a helper who kind of guides us through life. We need a Savior because we are sinners, and we have sinned. We have fallen short of his glory. We have, we have gone against God. We have hurt him, if that was possible. We have hurt our friends and our neighbors and ourselves. We don't just need a helper. We need a Savior. We need to enter in. Right? We see Jesus come alive. We see the scriptures come alive. We see John come alive. And church, let me ask you this. Do we see you come alive? Are you the fourth that comes alive? When you hear of the resurrection, when the scriptures speak to you, have you moved from that place of doubt and disbelief to the place of faith where you trust him and trust him alone? We celebrate resurrection, particularly the resurrection of Jesus, because it is equally a celebration of our resurrection. That in Christ we have died, and in Christ we have come alive again to live a new life. But we live in a world that constantly tells us that we can't change, or that we don't need to change, or that we shouldn't change. But everything about Resurrection Sunday, everything about Jesus dying and being risen from the dead, speaks to us about our need for change. Christian, look at the world and declare, no, in Christ I will be different because he is making me new. Right? It doesn't end with Jesus rising. It doesn't end with the scripture speaking. John comes to life here. And I pray that you would too. And if you're sitting in your pew today and you're thinking, you know what, today I, I need to come alive. Today's the day I, I need to, to come before him and, 
and, and I need to follow him, then today is the day. Okay, don't wait till tomorrow. And if that's you and, and you want to talk about what that looks like, then I want to invite you to come speak with me after church or Scott or anybody else in this room that you know loves Jesus and just speak with, with them about what it means to follow him. We would love to help walk you through that and walk you into that. Church, we came here today to celebrate Jesus' resurrection. I pray that we would be celebrating yours as well. Let us pray. God, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that it is living and active. It is speaking in our hearts. It is speaking to us by the power of the Spirit, Lord. And, and I pray that today, right now, each one of us would have that celebration song, the awakening in our own hearts, Lord, to see you moving and to know who you are and the confidence, Lord, to come before you and lay ourselves before you. I do pray, God, in thankfulness, God, that, that we, we look at you as the one who lives, who truly lives. And so, Lord, we come before you, Lord, and we thank you and praise you. Amen. Church, we come now to the time of...